Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to another episode of Knife Talk. Now, today I'll be chatting with, well, the godfather of making. It's Mr. <laughs> Jimmy DeResta. How are you, Jimmy? Hello. I'm great, man. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Before we start, I, I just need to say that I, I put up this little Instagram story did just last week, just saying that you're going to be chatting on the show. And I received dozens, well, probably 40 to 50 messages from people really? saying how inspired they were by you. And that this is, you got them making, you know? Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's really nice. So if they're listening now, thank you very much. That's that's some influence you've got. <laughs> thank you. Well, I've been at it for a while. And like I tell everybody, if you're going to try and be successful in this game, you got to make interesting content. I mean, they can't all be winners, of course, but you really got to work hard at trying to make good content and you, you know you can't fool yourself exactly a lot of guys a lot of guys come to me and they go oh how come my channel's not taking off and you know usually the answer is cuz you talk too much that's usually the answer <laughs> you don't have to be dead silent like i started out as but sometimes you just have to shut your mouth and make things more yeah yeah that's my that's my blanket advice to new youtubers shut up so I I know that you you don't really make knives for a living, obviously, but there is def- no. definitely more knife related content from you lately. So is that is that due to demand? You know, because it's on trend now, or is it just something that you really enjoy doing? Probably a little of both. You know, it, it, I, I am constantly wanting to learn new things, and uh, woodworking is something that is where I started, and then I got into metalworking, and and I still learning. I'm still learning. Uh, everything, of course. But when I see knife making, I say, oh, cool. I can just take this piece of blank and turn it into any shape I want because I, I work in a reductive style. That's how I started. Mm. So I'll take a piece of, you know, a uh, piece of tool steel, turn it into a knife, shape it from where I start. And then the natural progression is, hey, let me take any piece of metal I want and any chunk of tool steel and then turn it into the shape I want. It doesn't necessarily have to already be like 90% there in the flat. Mm. And so the progression is, start shaping and then really start shaping with blacksmithing. And, and all the while I'm just learning so many techniques that I could just apply to everything. So knife making, it's almost like doing yoga just to have like an overall healthy experience. So knife making for me is just like a a kind of a way of meditating and, and blacksmithing as well, just meditating and problem solving. That's just going to apply to everything I do on, on an ongoing basis. And I do plan on getting better at it to the point where I ultimately will feel confident enough to sell somebody a knife that I know is going to keep an edge. You know, I, I always end my videos with me shaving my arm. And of course, you know, I, I'm not the best hardener or know the best about the metallurgy of the whole process. So, you know, sometimes those blades don't stay too sharp. Sometimes they do. You know, I, I get lucky. <laughs> but yeah, not it's all down to the heat treat, isn't it? All the, all the heat yeah. treat. So yeah. your product is content, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily yeah. the thing that you make on the screen. Right. So was that a conscious decision or did it just sort of work out that way? It started working out that way in time. I mean, you'll notice in my videos, several of the videos that I make, for instance, lately I made uh, the two big number sevens. Those Hmm. are a very well-paying product, but I take the opportunity to make a video to show a lot of bending and sheet metal work. 
and I get to play with my new tools that I make. So it's it varies. Sometimes it's just about like I just made that big giant knife. I, I forget what the name of the video is. So I think a spring steel knife. Mm, from yeah, it's the steel. big thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I started that in November. And I don't know if you know Brett, my shop assistant, and he's been hanging around the shop now for over a year. And yeah. Brett's a very enthusiastic blacksmith, and he's learning and he's pushing me. So having Brett around is a little bit of a muse for me because I don't think I would be hitting it as hard as I would if he wasn't there. I'd be a little bit lazy. Also, I use laziness as an excuse because I get a little intimidated. And in the case of this <laughs> knife, I started I started shaping it. I started shaping it with blacksmithing, and I, I really felt the sense of reward because I really was getting somewhere. And I was going to, I was going to take it over to the bandsaw and cut the end off. And Brett's like, no, no, chop it off with the cutter. You know, let's heat it up. We can, you know, do a two man operation. We'll just chop it off. And so that was kind of cool. Cause you know, it takes you back to like how the problem solving would have happened years before there were bandsaws available in everyone's blacksmithing shop. Hmm. And then I was able to take that and hammer it and shape it. And then I got to a point where I stood back and I looked at the grind and I wasn't so happy with the shape. It was a little awkward, but then again, I wasn't going for anything practical from the start. So after some time, uh, Brett made this big tube to heat treat in his knife. Brett just made a big sword that he's going to publish in a couple of days. So he made this big tube of oil, and he goes, look, we got a big enough thing now we can heat treat it. He goes, let's just get to the getting. So he kind of pushed me to heat treat that knife and finish it. And this making the scales was obviously the next thing right after the heat treat. And we had we had some fun with it. Once it was done, we you know we, we, we did the big cut where I, I cut a, a burrito in half, and we were just goofing off. But Somebody asked me my philosophy on knife making, and, and it's basically I like making the knives that I wanted when I was 10 years old. So that's that's the knives hmm. I make. That's a good, that's a good way bunny. to think of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big Bugs Bunny knives, that's what I said. <laughs> so, I mean, you just mentioned making scales, and to yeah. me, that's the bit that scares the most. That scares me the most when I'm making right. a knife. It's, it's the handle material because yeah. generally cutting scales out of big lumps of wood, you know, it just scares the shit out of me, you know, using a table saw. It's funny because for me, that's the easiest part. I could make any kind of, I mean, I've seen some incredible knives like Greg Sims. I don't know if you know Greg Sims knife yes, works. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I met him and he lives in the vicinity of where I am. He's about 70 miles from me. And so I, where I bought my power hammer, that's how I met him. I bought my power hammer in Fletcher's Fletcher Coddington shop who I did a little doc on him. Hmm. Fletcher's an amazing, like he's like old school. Like if you, if, like you, people, you mentioned Fletcher and you mentioned, Wally Ader and like everyone's like, oh, I know those guys. You know those guys? You've met them? You know, it's kind of like <laughs> around blacksmithing guys here in America. And so when I met Fletcher, I went and bought my power hammer off of eBay just randomly. And I went there and I made a deal and I ended up picking up the hammer. And Greg was working in the shop. He rents a little section. So I became friendly with him. And then now on Instagram, he's sending me bits of encouragement from time to time. Like he'll see me working and he'll give me some tips right through the Instagram direct messaging. Mm -hmm. And he's always on point. You know, he, he's, he's amazing. But when you see the knife handles he makes, I mean, the knives are incredible, but the knife handles he makes with like multiple pieces of different colored materials, it's, it's just, it's such an inspiration to me, you mm. know, but that's, that's a part I'm not nearly as intimidated by as shaping and grinding. And I mean, when I see what Liam Hoffman does, I Ooh, just, yes, he's, yeah. he's a magician. He's a magician. I, I don't even understand how he gets those grinds. Those like beautiful hollow grinds. If I got a hollow grind like that, I would be like, wow, I'll never be able to do that twice. Hmm. He's been on the show too. And he's a lovely guy, lovely guy. No, we chatted a little bit. I, I pushed his book for him and we were actually going to do a project together. I, I developed and designed this aluminum handle. It was one of my videos, but I was able to duplicate the handle or I was about to duplicate the handle with a with a CNC manufacturer and it never worked out and Liam was going to make the heads and we were going to do like a three-way YouTube thing. Hmm. It could still work out, but anytime we do YouTube collaborations, they're very logistically 
difficult to to keep up and stay on top of. And, you know, because everyone's got so many other priority things that are important, like, you know, your daily uploads or whatever it is. Yes. So yeah, I can imagine. It's kind of hard. But, but at least I got to break the ice with Liam and become friendly with him through email. And we had one phone conversation. And, man, what a talented guy. I mean, I, I've been I've been blowing him up since I met him. Hmm. Yeah. And, and young, too. Young. It's yeah, crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So you just mentioned your, your Power Hammer. And I know you've yeah. just been on a Power Hammer course, haven't you? So yeah, you, I if, just got home. Have you got any special knife builds you're building up to? Uh, no, you know, just the idea of drawing and just taking, well, in that class, you'll see when I upload the vlog, which I haven't even made yet, but the, the, I started playing around with, it's funny, the, the play, the class, class was like a little crowded and, and so, and I met a good friend there, my, my buddy, Andrew, he, he's, he's like one of my new best friends, Andrew Alexander, who owns Blacksmith Tools on Instagram. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Have you have you got followed him? He, he gets I do. Yes, he-, he sells old anvils, that kind of thing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. anvils and power hammers, and, and he is a, a wealth of knowledge. So he wanted to go picking. So a couple times we went driving around and gone picking, and we just driving like you see a guy who's got a crowded lot of junk on his, and we just go right up and knock on the door. Andrew breaks the ice, and we start talking, and the guy lets us look through his junk, and we buy here and there. So we did one of those one afternoon, and I ended up buying four railroad spikes from a guy. He basically just said, take them. So I got these four railroad spikes out of this junkyard and I took them back to the place and I said, let me just throw them in the heat and play with drawing them on the power hammer. That's all. I'm just going to try and draw them. That's it. I, I don't I have no idea how to do this. I've never done it before. I never used a power hammer. Mine isn't operational yet, but it will be now that I'm back. I'm, I'm making it my priority to get that thing working. Mm. And I'll explain in a minute what it needs. It doesn't need much. So anyway, so I was drawing out those railroad spikes and I started just goofing off because everybody knows I make like ice picks. So I drew them out and I ended up making these long and somebody picked it up and goes, who made the wizard wand? Because I had it sitting there cooling <laughs> off. And I'm like, great name. That's it. They're wizard sticks, wizard spikes. <laughs> so everyone was joking like the who made the Harry Potter wands. And because I because I like experimenting with twists, I did a little cube twist on one and I did a, a, a zigzag twist where I got halfway and then back and then back and back. So I made three of them and I'm going to start right away. Everyone's like, oh, eBay them, eBay them. So I'm going to eBay them. So they're not really a knife. They're more of like a, it's like a shish kebab basically. Hmm. But yeah, the the introduction to the hammer. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great introduction to the hammer for me. And uh, so I'm looking forward to making more of those because they were a lot of fun. And I, uh, whenever I do any kind of YouTube or anything for me, one of the most important parts of the entire concept is the transformation, starting with a lump of steel or a flat blank, taking that flat blank and, turning it into whatever else it might become hmm. yeah always looks great on cam and what you need obviously is the slow pan in slow mo sparks going every oh, alex steel yeah. style you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah i just filmed uh, uh brent bailey was was our teacher who's an amazing craftsman and and obviously uh, an amazing guy so i did some slow-mo iphone shots of him and hmm. they look like hollywood produced yeah they, they just look <laughs> so cool so, so this new shop of yours, which I've I've followed yeah. along with the build, and it's it's just the yeah. dream shop. It looks incredible. Is that now? Oh yeah, it's, is it fully functional? No, 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 far from it. Uh, I was kind of waiting. I'm kind of stalling. Uh, I'm kind of waiting on a couple of trade outs. I, I have an electrical company that might become a partner with me on it. You know, I would basically they would supply the product, and I would blow them up on YouTube hmm. and hang a banner in the shop. And so I'm waiting on some confirmation with them. I have a siding company. I just got, uh, I'm going to put a down payment on my windows this week, which I'm just paying for. So I'm trying to do some trade outs. I'm taking a little bit of a slow approach. And on top of that, which is my better excuse, it has been so cold and freezing here. (laughs) And the ground goes from being frozen solid to being completely muddy. uh, And 
it's it's really difficult. Uh, so my my excavator guy said we we really have to wait until uh, April till we can get driving trucks on the ground because I have to dig a three hundred and fifty foot trench for the electric. Yeah, rather you, rather you than me. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, yep. what's the intention of the, that space? Is that going to change the way you work? Do you think? Um, that is going to be my curated shop. That is going to be the shop where I'll basically spend the rest of my life, presumably. So, I am going to build beautiful cabinets. Up until now, I never really owned anything, so I was always kind of half-heartedly building out the walls and half-heartedly doing the organization. Because I know, on like on a whim, I'm going to have, I'm going to spend all this money to you know, do a whole cubby hole wall and then I'm going to have to leave. And that's why in the city, I, I moved into the place 14 years ago and slowly it turned into what it did. And it was comfortable and I knew where everything was. And then I had to leave and then I moved into this warehouse, which I was planning on being for only one year. And now that one year is up this month and I'm nowhere near being able to move out. And the rent's so cheap, I, I'm going to keep it anyway. I, I talked to the landlord. He's like, stay as long as you want. I don't care because I'm a good tenant to him. Hmm. And so the warehouse is cheap. I'm going to stay in that warehouse and curate my place here. Because hmm. with that warehouse, I can I can on a whim buy like an antique printer. But this place is half the size as my warehouse. The the new built shop is half as big as my warehouse, the, my ratty warehouse. Right. Geez. So I won't be able to keep as much stuff all inside of there. So I am going to still have to have a supplemental place, c- considering the amount of stuff I collect. Yes, you know, if I yeah. wasn't a collector, it wouldn't matter. I'd just be like a regular uh, wood shoppy metal guy. But I, I mean, I have a love for old tools, like like blacksmith tools. The Instagram guy who's got he's got I think he's got ten or twenty. I forget what he said. Twenty thousand square feet <laughs> undercover Oof. to collect big machines and stuff. Yeah. And that's my that's that's what I want. And I want to be able to drive down the road and pick up a you know a power hammer here or or a, you know a giant lathe there yeah. and have a place to. So, that's the dream. Good. That's the dream. I, I remember when you were looking for um, new shops. I remember you, you posted these pictures of an old gas station. Man, yep. that, that was a beauty. That was, wasn't it? Oh, it was beautiful. And it, it's extremely small. So it's actually worked out good that I didn't get it because I, I would have I had no space for all the ah, stuff I needed. Right, yeah. and, but I, I just drove by it this afternoon and I'm thinking, God, I know the guy passed on, the guy that I was ta- dealing with a year ago. So I want to know if his wife is interested in selling the place. The mm-hmm. guy, the guy, When I met the guy that owned it, he had one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel. I mean, <laughs> not healthy at all. I, in fact, I met him several times to discuss the rental and the fixing up of the place. And every single time I met him, he never got out of his car. Jeez. He just, <laughs> I talked to him through the window of his car because he just something like he just wasn't in good health. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, so that, that could become available again. And that might be just another part of the uh, the empire up here taking over this upstate neighborhood. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. The Duresta Diner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be a great. I, I would really get it to have it as like a curated like gathering space and maybe an art gallery for Taylor's work or something. Hmm, yeah. Now may be a good time to tell you about a campaign that I'm running to get my beautiful steak knives into production. A great steak deserves a great steak knife. Take a look at the campaign at chopknives.com and grab yourself one of my steak knives whilst they are more affordable than they'll ever be. So, I mean, you've got way over a million subscribers on YouTube now. So, you know, yeah. that, that's big time. At one point, too. Yeah. No, it, it's it's amazing. I, I never dreamed I'd get this far. Hmm. I never dreamed. I started making YouTube videos because I was mad at the TV business, and it just kept growing. And then I realized this is, this is I found my community, really. 
Yeah. And and to be honest, I mean, you talk about TV. I don't think there's really a show out there for makers. Well, certainly not for me. That nails it for me, you know? I enjoy you yeah. know, Forged in Fire, I enjoy. But you don't really learn much from it. It's just a bit of fun. So I think TV is yeah. really missing out on what YouTube is now providing, really. It's funny. We just got, we were all at the, uh, it's called the Moccasin Mountain Power Hammer event. Hmm. And he's going to try and do it four times a year. And we were, we were, we were held up in a cabin, uh, the owner of the event. And the owner of the property, Al, owns four cabins. And each cabin, I think, has four beds in them. And so we had – there was four of us in the cabin. And each night we'd turn the TV on for a minute before we all decided to, to hit the hit the hay. And the other night, Forge and Fire was on. So all four of us were skeptically <laughs> watching Forge and Fire and, like, ridiculing everything. And just the idea that uh, – like, people tell me all the time. They're like, oh, go on Forge and Fire. A, it's not my choice. It's not something you just call up and say, I'm available now for Forge and Fire. Hmm. Uh, you know, you have to be invited on. And I wouldn't go on because I would not want to be on a competition show. I, I heard we discussed the show at the breakfast the next day with some of the guys. And somebody said Walter Soros was on. He was. And, and, yes. And yeah. got booted the very first diverse round, which is ridiculous. Yeah. That's yeah. what that's why those shows aren't good. I mean, if you got four good knife makers together to spend or uh, if the show's an hour long, an hour discussing their techniques, how they do it. So you bring four people together with four separate approaches. They all combine their conversation and their experience. That's a better show than you get kicked off, you stay, you go. What you you know you, the guy's got a lifetime's worth of experience and wealth of knowledge, and they cut him because maybe he just had a bad moment or he got a bad piece of metal out of the junk pile or mm, yeah you know he's not used to working in twenty minutes for something that looks like a masterpiece that would take him maybe two hours you know yeah I, I don't that, know if you that, saw that's why it. The shows are very unfair, I think. Yeah, I don't know if you saw it. They did a, an international version, and Trotsky was on there. And um, oh, no kidding. Yeah, I don't have a TV, so I don't get to see any of the stuff unless I'm in a hotel. Ah, right. Yeah, he was on there. And again, he didn't win. But what I did notice with that show is that they all become very friendly. And I know he's working with the other guys now on a few products, that kind of thing. So, yeah. so I think it does happen. But yeah, the way it's set up, it's, it's designed to have a winner, isn't it? You know? Yeah, unfortunately, that's what they... They believe is needed, and uh, I, I I've told this story several times. I went to pitch a TV show with my friend Nick Offerman, the actor comedian mm. in America, Ron Swanson, and when we went into all these different meetings, his agent, who was representing me and him at the time for this pitch, looked at me and goes, "Don't talk about YouTube. None of these networks are having a, a fun time with YouTube, <laughs> so just don't bring it up." And it's funny every time I walked into every we went like because of Nick's influence and his agent's influence, we went. We had like eight meetings in two days with every major network mm. and everybody we met, the very first thing, they shake my hand. They go, hey, man, I watched all your YouTube videos, really good <laughs> stuff, which was great for me because here's the agent saying they don't want to hear about it. And yeah. meanwhile, they're all they're all looking out of there. They're all side eye on YouTube wondering what's next. You know? <laughs> so what's your contingency plan if if YouTube decides to sort of squeeze contact makers further? You know, yeah. what's the plan? Um, well, my, it's funny. All my analytics have been way down in the last six months. Every once in a while, I get a little – every once in a while, I get green arrows. But for the most part, my arrows are always red. Mm. And I think it has something to do with the algorithm. Maybe it has to do with my move. Maybe it has to do with me being a little bit more you know, commercially uh, uh, open to commercial advertising because I need the money. You know, mm. of course. Yeah, yeah. It's a job. And, and people are offering me the money. And when I first started doing YouTube, I'd spend 70% of my time building stuff for clients – sitting in traffic, installing stuff in apartments in up, uptown New York City with Dave Welder. And every once in a while, I'd make a YouTube video. And then as time went on, I started making more YouTube videos and I was getting some money from that product placement. Then I, then by popular demand, I started doing my vlogs. And I think 
if I was adding thousands of subscribers per day, when I started doing my vlogs, it went down to like hundreds of subscribers a day again, hmm. but it still continues to grow. It's like the, it's like the, uh, stock market, you know, it's like an annuity. It just keeps, continues to grow, but the, the rate of growth slows down from time to time. And I saw a big slowdown when I started doing my vlogs. Cause a lot of people are like, why are you talking? But now I'm so deep into it that I can't stop doing my vlogs because people look forward to that. Yeah, I enjoy them more, to be honest with you. I, I was yeah. going to say, I meet people in airports and they say, I only watch your vlogs. I love your build videos, but I get a little bit of that in the vlog. And so I, mm. that's, I, I kind of pay attention to see when the vlogs are posted. That's really what I watch. And, uh, you know, I mean, of course, I get people that say, I only watch your build videos. I know you do those things where you talk once in a while. That's cool. But I really like when you make stuff. So, and I get I get badgered to do a second channel, but that's just too much work. And it's just, it just doesn't pay. And, you know, it's like that's that's if you come into my environment, my environment is that YouTube channel and you'll see everything in my environment It's my build videos and my and my vlog videos. So look at the growth. uh, It took me it took me one year to get a half a million subscribers to hit a million. And it took me the next one year, which is right now to do 200,000 subscribers. So it just shows you the difference in growth. Yeah. So one year I did 500,000 and the next year, which is May 1st, will be the next year I'll hit 200,000. So. You know, it's it's ebbs and flows, you know. And uh, the good thing about what I do is I could always hold hold a class like Moccasin Mountain Power Hammers. We're going to do one with Rory May in in the fall, and uh, I'm going to hold a spoon making class. I'm going to hold a a YouTube video making class as well this summer. So those are goals of mine is to host these classes, which can be pretty lucrative. Mm. Um, and it's not always going to be all about me, although I'll be the host. But I always like to get experts in to be like this weekend. Brent Bailey was the uh, was the teacher, not the owner of the event, but mm. he hosted and he has all the power hammers and the space and the places to keep people in beds. But he had Brent Bailey be the, be the instructor. And it was great to really watch an expert like him. Cool. Cool. You know, back around a piece of metal. Yeah. I mean, you, you strike me as that the type of person that never really chills out in front of the TV or, you know, falls asleep with a beer in your hand. So what, <laughs> what do you do to relax? I like to drive. <laughs> Honestly, I know I drive everywhere in America when it's time. Like tomorrow, I'm driving about four hours away to go to Carolina Boots factory. I'm, I'm now going to be working with Carolina Boots. I'm going to be making some products for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to drive. And I like driving. It's a place for me to kind of think and collect my thoughts because I can't look at the phone. I can't be distracted by Instagram or YouTube. And it's I'll keep a yellow pad next to me and I'll jot down concepts as I drive. And when I get home or get to my destination, I'll be able to make sense of those jittery notes that I write while I'm driving. Hmm. Uh, I enjoy tinkering. I really like tinkering. And the power hammer is a great tinker. I got the power hammer in pieces. It came as the big main body with the pulleys on it. But the uh, the hammer and all the spring and the arms were not, were not on. They were all dismantled in preparation for restoration about 25, 30 years ago that never happened. And it got handed down from one person to another person all in pieces. And the boxes of like the boxes that the parts were in were like bins from like the (laughs) seventies that, (laughs) that just never got transferred into any new bins. And so when I got the power hammer, I was like, okay, um, this is now my responsibility to resurrect this piece of history. And I spent the summer last summer, machining all the parts and getting everything bushed. Everything needed new bushings. That was the problem. It was too much slack. Mm. I, you know, I, I don't know how easy it is to find parts for that, for that DuPont, but it's not. It's a DuPont Fairbanks. And so all the parts would either be rebushed or remade. And so I rebushed all the, the worn out parts with, uh, I think it was aluminum bronze. Uh, I machined all the sleeves and we made 
new pins, I think at a 1095 or 10, 10, 1045 rod. I forget exactly. And so now it's operational. The next step is to put the motor and the belt on. And I've been kind of stalling on that because it's a complicated build because it all has to be eight to nine feet above it in the air, not, not above mm. the actual hammer, but ultimately everything is going to live above like the three feet above the hammer, all that mechanical. And I don't know if I should build a cage around it, which means the cage and the, and the thing have to move independently when I finally get it settled or build something onto the power hammer, which you have to do. I want to make sure I do an elegant design and construction because the machine is so beautiful. I don't want to just slap steel tube together and yeah, you know, yeah. just kind of make a haphazard job. So I had a much, I got a much better idea because there was a Fairbanks there among the power hammers this weekend and I saw how he did it. And so sitting in my layover between, uh, Minnesota and New York, we had a four hour layover. I sat there and I went on McMaster and I spent over a thousand dollars on McMaster car for all the parts <laughs> that I need, the pulleys, the, the shafting, the belting, and I got everything I need. So now I have no excuse. It's all showing up this week. I'm going to have everything sitting on my porch and I'm going to be able to really start. So by the spring, I think probably by summer, I'm going to have that thing hammering. Hmm. So, so, so the answer is no, you don't relax. <laughs> no. <laughs> what I do is relax is tinker. And that's it. Like yeah. when, when I don't have jobs that I do or if I'm like in between YouTube videos and I'm trying to tinker to come up with an idea for a good video, I'll tinker. And that's what I really like doing. Let's talk about one of our sponsors, Tormac. To get great razor-sharp and repeatable edges, you're going to need a Tormac. To find out more, go to Tormac.com, which is T-O-R-M-E-K.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Cool, cool. So, uh, so I'm going to finish the interview with the same question that I ask everybody, which is, which makers inspire you? Who do you enjoy watching? Whose work do you love? Uh, uh, wow. I mean, it, this is a stupid answer. I love everybody. I get inspired by the novice that puts up his first video because I love his enthusiasm and I'm like, you know, I'm rooting for them. Hmm. Uh, I get inspired, I say from like real makers. I love Matthias. You know, Matthias is like everyone's YouTube hero. Hmm. Uh, Frank Hallworth, um, Walter Sorrells, the knife maker. Uh, another big inspiration of mine, he's only on social media, and, I, and a lot of people have heard me say this in the past, is is uh, Paul Cox, who's a motorcycle builder here in New York. He used to be a big shot on the Discovery Channel motorcycle shows when they right, had them. Yeah, yeah. He's still a big shot, but he's just not – he's not extremely media savvy. Like He doesn't have YouTube or – he does uh, Im- amazing, classic, beautiful – like I like when people are technically skilled. And also have a sense of style. And it's really hard to find both of those. Either you have a sense of style and you got to hire somebody that could fab for you, or you can fab, but you have no sense of style. Mm. And someone like Paul Cox has both of those uh, immensely. And to see that inspires me. Like I see some incredibly skilled knife makers, but I would never want to make a knife that looks like they do. I know the thing is going to hold the razor's edge forever. It's made out of the best steel. It's got the most beautiful swirls in it because they know how to do Damascus. But the style is hideous. And that's just me personally. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the combination of it all coming together under one roof. And that's what that's some of my that's what some of the things I aspire to be is a, a good fabricator and a good designer and knowing how to handle materials and knowing how to get the best out of them as far as styling and, and technicality. You know, that's that's what someone like Paul Cox does for me. Walter Soros does that for me. Um, Rory May. I mean, Rory May makes some incredible stuff as far as blacksmithing goes, you know, as far as architectural elements. I mean, the, the stair rails him and his father make are like 
incredible. And when I see, like I was in his shop and I saw the samples on the wall and every one of them is just incredible. I'm like, whoa. I mean, to be able to like poke and bend and twist steel, you know, linearly ongoing. So they all look the same, all handmade. Hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, so is there anything that you struggle with? I mean, something that you've always wanted to make, but you've always been maybe a bit daunted to do, or are you the kind of guy who just, let's just give it a go. I like just jumping in and giving everything a try. I mean, I would like to be better at CNC machining. Um, I'm having a little bit of trouble with fusion. So mm. when I have trouble with something, I kind of tend to like circumvent it and figure out other ways of doing anything. Uh, so I'm, I really do need to confront my fusion 360 and my cam learning. I did go to a couple of classes over at NYCNC in, uh, in Zanesville, Ohio. And at the moment I was really like, I was into it. I was able to sit in the class and go out in the, in the shop and execute but then when I'm on my own, I, I get nervous and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm making the right choice. Is this the right cutting head? Is this the right chip load? So all that stuff. I just need to spend more time with an expert and get more of that rub off from a, from an experienced machinist. And that's partly why I travel a lot is to like to try and meet people that, that know how to do something better than than I know I'm good at. You know. Well, you've got great knife makers on your doorstep. So you're, you're still in New York <laughs> area, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, you know the guy, Brooklyn Cut? I just found out he lives down the block from me. Oh, this, Joel, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in this like little rinky-dink town I'm in right now. <laughs> I'm in this like little rinky-dink podunk town. I bought this house here 14 years ago, just as like a weird vacation spot from a family relative. And I saw Joel posting like, I'm like, wait a minute. I go, dude, you're in East Durham? I go, I'm right down the block from you. Let's hang out. And he hasn't answered me back yet. Maybe he's just not big on Instagram. I think, yeah, I've been trying to get him on the show, on the show and there's, yeah, no responses. But yeah, some some people aren't all over everything, are they? But uh, yeah. But yeah. I mean, you've got, I mean, we've had people on this. Jeff Fader, he's New York area. He used to, oh, be, yeah? a, used to be a sculptor. He now makes these beautiful, beautiful knives. Um, uh-huh. Mariko Momassi, who from Momassi Fire Arts, he was actually the um, the apprentice of Bob Kramer. Um, oh, so see, I don't know any of these guys. He makes these, got... these incredible. I'll, I'll send you an email with with people you need to be following oh, yeah. because these are Please. amazing knife makers. You know. Thank you, thank you. Like I said, my I, my I have a pretty good confidence level with making like sexy shapes. Hmm. You know, of course, I don't always hit the mark. Like like I said, that last big giant ugly knife I made, I really had a very different vision of that Bowie knife. And then I kind of put that curve in it, and I was like, oh, this is a nice direction. And then I kind of snubbed the nose, and I looked at it, I'm like, it's kind of a little awkward looking. But I went with it anyway, and I finished it. And, you know, sometimes I get to a point when I build something, and I was like, you know what? This is just for experience right now. I'm just – I'm building a foundation. So let me see it through to the end and then correct it on the next build, you know, correct whatever's bugging me on the next build. Yeah, I've got a rule of doing that. I've always finished what I start because um, yep, yeah, you're going to learn, aren't you? You're going to learn. Absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jimmy. Hopefully we'll get you on the show again soon. Um, Anytime. (laughs) But yeah, have a great day and I'll speak to you again soon. Right on. And just send me messages when this is about to go up and I'll blow you up too. Excellent stuff. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.